If you ever find yourself on Mashpee Pond, early enough on a summer morning for it to still be cool, and mist still stretched over the surface of the water, you might catch sight of figures, swaying and gliding between the mist and the sunrise. This is the Upper Cape Catch, and normally we bring you the most pressing news in Falmouth, Bourne, Sandwich, and Mashpee. But today, we're going to just tell you a story about some of the most accomplished athletes in the world. Athletes who have rowed on waterways around the world, competing against some of the best athletes in the world, and today, rowed together on ponds on Cape Cod. If you didn't know, Mashby Pond is home to its very own rowing event called a regatta. As we were coming back, looking at the straits, we said, we ought to have a regatta here. And we started at the head of the pond's regatta. This is Alan Robinson, and he started that regatta. So like head of the, so we're the head of the ponds. It's longer, and there's much more navigation. Whereas the, whereas the Charles, you've got to get through the bridges, and that's, that takes some steering. Here, uh, we're 7,500 meters, so we're about 50% longer than the Charles. Uh, there's a pass that connects to Wakebee Pond, and there's three islands in Wakebee. So you go through the pass, circumnavigate the three islands, and then come back. Alan is also a sculler and a member of this group who all like to row together on summer mornings. Through Alan, I met Alwyn Huxley, a top-rated international single sculler, and she gave me a ride. Seat back, put your feet on that. That, exactly. Yeah, one foot there. Just never put your feet into the bottom of the boat because it's Owen rolled the sculler to give me a sense of the feeling of gliding across the surface of the water. And while we were out there, she told me all about how she found the sport. Owen was out for a run on the Charles in Boston, back when she was attending Harvard, and she saw a team of rowers. She thought to herself, I could do that. Uh, you know, that was also back in the day when they still had walk-ons. Back when Alwyn was attending Harvard, she said all you had to do was show up to a rowing program and they would teach you how. And the more you show up, the better you get. And then she got invited to row in competitions. And then things just got really serious. She was like, hey, you know, it's like a fun race this summer, you should do it. So I did that race, that was fun, and it kind of took off from there. And then uh, I started rowing for Potomac Boat Club and uh, you know, tried out for the national team, um, got on the national team in 1997 and the Pan-American team in 99 and wow. raced a bunch. So yeah, got, got pretty serious. What's the training like for that? How long does it take to... So, uh, like day to day, a week to week, it can be anything from like 15 to like 20 hours of training. She said it took 15 to 20 hours of training a week. That was two to three hours a day for her to get ready for competitions. And in the meantime, she was doing other sports like yoga to stay in shape and keep up core strength. She said that rowing feels good. It clicked for her. But, you know, rowing's been with me like my whole life. And Lena and Virginia, who are here visiting from DC, we've been besties for like decades. And we have like a text thread that runs all day long, every day about everything from rowing to pets. So. Owen said there are three parts to rowing. The catch, the leg goes in. He 
Here, Alwyn dipped the oars in the water. That's the catch. The drive is the stroke, the momentum that pulls the boat. The third part is the recovery, when the oar lifts out of the water and glides softly back to the catch, while the rower leans back. That's when the sculler is at its fastest. So you don't want to mess with that. This whole process is surprisingly gentle. It's a rhythm, back and forth, simultaneously soothing and fast. She said it has to be gentle. Every movement of your body impacts the boat, and if you get caught up in a race and lurch, you can feel it, jarring that fine and timed rhythm. I learned that everything, down to the twitch of the fingers on the oars, matters in rowing. And riding on a sculler was easy, but rowing in one? That was a whole other story. All right, good. All right, so you've seen the great Walenda? The yeah. great Walenda walks across the tightrope holding a long pole. This is your long pole. All right, so get your hands all the way to the end here. Okay. What you're listening to is a lesson. That's it. Now that oar is screaming for mercy because you're holding it so tight. So get it more on your fingertips. And the person in the boat is me. The person teaching me. It's like sitting on a razor blade doing uh, power cleans. Is none other really your, 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 your setup than three time competitor, three time coach, a former Olympian, James Deeds. And you don't have to overdo it. Try not to, that's a perfect hole you have on the oar, but don't let go of it. So as you're on the drive right now, as you're pulling through that note, you see your bover grip. Now go, go more in your face. And I have to say, sometimes it's the student, not the teacher. That's it. Get your hand here, thumb at the end. Now pull through. In my defense, this was my first time sitting in a shell or a sculler. Anyone familiar with the head of the Charles Regatta knows that these boats are slender and sleek, designed for speed. The one I was sitting on in June is a single, which are typically 27 feet long and only 10 inches wide. So it's a bit of a precarious perch if you're like me and you've only sat in one once. I may not have the best balance, but Jim does. Jim has been doing this a lot longer than I have. Well, three as a competitor and then three more as a coach. Ooh. So six total. What was it like uh, preparing for that? How long does it take? Your whole life. My name is James Dietz. 60 years ago, I started as a rower for my local high school in the Bronx, St. Helena's and the New York Athletic Club. I've been rowing for 60 years now. I've made three Olympic teams as an athlete, three Olympic teams as a coach. I coached the U.S. Coast Guard Academy for 10 years. I coached the University of Massachusetts for 24 years. I'm still actively rowing and competing at the grand old age of 74 and feeling pretty damn good about it. When Jim was a kid, everyone else was playing basketball or baseball. In the fall, I was thinking about running cross country like my older brother. And uh, I was on the backfield and three very large guys come up and said, you're coming with us or we're going to kick the crap out of you. So to save myself a beating, I went with them up to see the, the team. And uh, as soon as I saw the water in the boats, I just loved it. That's what I was going to do. That was 1963. By 1967, he won the Junior World Championships. He eventually made the U.S. elite team, and he went to college at Northeastern, where he competed while working to make the Olympic teams. He said around then he was training 16 to 20 hours a week. It was something that you just wanted to do. I mean, every minute I had, I wanted to go to the club and get in a boat and go row someplace. Rowing was, was more than a sport. It was a way to get around. You know, if you didn't have a bike, you took the subway, you took a bus, but 
we would go up to the club, we'd take boats and we'd go places. Jim said he must have started dreaming about the Olympics back when he was still in high school. Because if you look back on my loose leaf binder and other books, I had already drew the Olympic rings. Jim said he used to get nervous before every race when he was younger, but he was ambitious and driven. He had to be. You were on the straight and narrow path. You weren't running out and going to a disco or going to the movies. You know, you you do your training, you go and you refuel at the cafeteria, and then you go sleep. Training for the Olympics falls on this four-year timeline. You have to have that timing. You know, people will train their people on a four-year quadrennial, the periodization of, of training, so they're peaking in that Olympic year. Because you win a, a, a world championship medal, that's great. You win an Olympic medal, everybody in the world knows that's that's the top. His first Olympics was in 1972 in Munich. Going to your Olympics is like going to the circus for the first time. So much is happening and you're looking around, you really need to stay focused. But the biggest charge anybody can ever have is walking into the Olympic Stadium and knowing you're part of that few that, that made it to that event. There's no words for it. When that U.S. team walks in, you're very pumped up with pride. The Olympic Games lasts for two weeks, and Jim said part of his inspiration in getting there were his teammates, his fellow scholars. By the time he made it to the Olympics, he had already been competing with international athletes across Europe. That group of single scholars are tight-knit, and he said it gives competitors a lot of perspective. Pierre de Coubertin from France he created the modern Olympics. And what people don't know about the Olympics was back in ancient Greece, the different Greek nations would actually stop their wars every four years to compete against each other. So no matter what conflicts were going on in that part of the world, the war stopped and they competed. And that's what Pierre de Coubertin wanted to bring to the modern Olympics, to bring everybody from the world together in a common theme. And out of that common theme, you, you realize, well, you know, the Russians aren't so bad and, and the, the Greeks aren't so bad, you know, and these are all guys like I am and have the same values and, you know, desire to excel in their sport. And it makes the world a smaller and maybe a peacefuler place, you know. We've only had a couple of situations like in the 80 Olympics where the United States chose to boycott the Olympics. And I thought that was a big mistake. You know, we never should have boycotted the Olympics. That's not what it's all about. It's about bringing the world together and not, not trying to play political games. And then the retaliation is that the Eastern Bloc nations, the Russians and all the East Germans, and then four years later, they boycotted our games in LA. So then you have two different Olympic quadrennials, eight years wasted because of politics. Jim would go on to teach the U.S. team at the Olympics once he was done competing, but he found that coaching was something he'd been doing all along. Even when I was competing, I was always trying to help the younger kids in the club. You know, it, it, it was the same thing. I would go to regattas and I'd be nervous. And it wasn't because of me now being nervous about my own racing. I was nervous about the kids that I was coaching, you know, and trying to help them get through it and understand, you know, the process. But I, but I think I was almost more nervous coaching than I was myself. You know, you always want to see the kids do better. Throughout Jim's career, 
All those athletes that he coached and the people who coached him are connections that have stayed with him all his life. In in a person's life, family is first, and that's the first family. And you have your family get-togethers, Christmas and Easter, whatever. But then in rowing, you have this other family. And that get-together is like the head of the Charles or some of the head races. You're walking along, and there are people that you've been coaching for 35, 40 years that are coaching other people now. It's a very small world, you know. Uh, it's great seeing how people have progressed through their lives, and then they remain active in the sport. Jim has been rowing for decades, and he said he does not anticipate stopping anytime soon. God will tell me when to stop, and that'll probably be my expiration date. And rowing, I feel, is, is one of these sports where you learn to persevere. You know, when you think you're tired and done, you can always take that next step and keep going. I think that's one of the things, the greatest things that, that people learn from our sport. There's always another day. Every day is not going to be the perfect race. Every day is not going to be the perfect practice. But you just have to keep showing up every day and enjoying those beautiful sunrises, you know. But some days it'll rain. <laughs> this has been the Upper Cape Catch by the Enterprise. Thank you to Jim Dietz, Olin Huxley, and their Mashpee Rowing Group for their help on this episode. And special shout out to Ellen Robinson. The Upper Cape Catch comes out every Friday, just like our newspaper. Check us out online, on our social media, or on our website at capenews.net. We also have an app that is free to download on the App Store and Google Play. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Upper Cape Catch.